0: through obsessive compulsive or various other illnesses um, play themselves out, these rituals, and it's around breaking that cycle of the ritual.
1: Very good. So is it about that uh, neuroplasticity, about learning new behavior, getting the brain not to wire the same way it was programmed, but just finding new ways?
0: I'm having a thought that I need to clean this house from top to bottom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Lucky I went, I went. I should have more of those ones, shouldn't I? Oh, dear
1: Deirdre, how's How are it going? I... Welcome Good. to the podcast.
0: Thank you Otto. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me.
1: Great. So we're going to talk about something from your professional field of psychotherapy. And before we jump into it, maybe you can uh, introduce yourself a little bit about your background.
0: Okay. Thanks Mian. Um, well, I'm uh, Irish, but I was born in the UK of Irish parents. And I came over here to boarding school when I was 11 while well, my parents stayed in England. And I went to college here, met my husband, married and never went back. So I consider myself very much Irish although not even born here
1: very good yeah Mm -hmm. and you guys been traveling a lot your husband absolutely
0: yes so we um we we lived a very peripatetic life you know we we traveled to uh, and lived in seven or eight countries and um, during the course of my husband's working life and I always managed to work in every single country not always the same work but I'm proud of the fact that I had a job in every country I lived in so it was pretty uh, pretty good going <laughs>
1: Yeah. You mentioned some some stories from the Soviet Union. You guys been there in the 80s?
0: I was. We were. And we had two small children aged uh, two and one when we went to um, uh, Moscow. And it was called the Soviet Union back then. And yeah, it was... People think of these things as being immensely exotic, but actually they were not. And it was really, um, well, it was in those days considered a hardship post. And uh, yeah, food was pretty scarce. Uh, You couldn't just walk out and decide to make uh, any kind of recipe that you wanted. There were very limited food choices there. We had a sort of coupon A shop where we could get a voucher for particular kinds of food like meat and um, uh, butter and milk and things that were pretty much in scarce supply. And um, one had to be really, really inventive when you were there. Like you would get a phone call from one of your girlfriends. Um, I had a Danish friend there, and the husband was a businessman and they didn't live near me but she she said oh you know I've heard there's mushrooms for sale on your near your train station and there was a very large train station where food came from the garden of Russia back to, back then was Ukraine and it was mushrooms and yes and she said please please don't go yet don't go yet take a baby and the idea was if you got a baby on your hip you got pushed to the front of the very long queue mm-hmm. and so my the, the this was the Stokal story don't forget to bring a baby when you're going shopping because you'll get looked after. (laughs) It was very funny, wasn't it? But that's how we'd lived.
1: Not even funny, but more like essential survival.
0: I know. You got into survival mode, absolutely. And I remember coming back to Ireland for holidays and the children were growing, they were four and five and they burst into tears when I brought them into a sweet shop. buy an ice cream because there were just so many ice creams there, they didn't know which one to choose. Whereas in Russia, you know, Marojina was just one type of ice cream and nothing else. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was a very big shock to come home.
1: Yeah. And how was the difference then you were in Singapore and where else?
0: Okay. So we lived in Germany for four years and, um, we lived, as I say, in Russia, we lived in, uh, Denmark um, London, Czech Republic, uh, with a side job in the Ukraine and the Philippines and, uh, then Denmark and then Singapore. Yeah. So pretty busy and quite an interesting life.
1: So I guess you've seen lots of cultures. A
0: lot of cultures and a funny thing, you know, I'm a therapist as, as you introduced me as a therapist, but so I trained, um, I was all, I've always worked in the area of mental health but of course I had to be very adaptive in the different countries I worked in but actually um oh China we lived in China sorry forgot China <laughs> in Beijing uh for four years and I think the most interesting thing about it is that problems the worldwide over are very much the same mm. there isn't a huge difference okay yeah that's probably what so- I learned
1: With all the language and cultural differences, our problems are the same. Absolutely. Psychological, emotional issues. Absolutely.
0: Totally. Yeah. And um, so I remember, you know, I mean, how people approach life and approach problems may be slightly different between East and West. I think in Asia, it's still uncommon to go and see a therapist. you know the the educated people who've traveled abroad which of course in my day were quite few um, understood about talking to somebody outside your family but in general in Asia it's seen as a little bit shameful to go outside your family Uh, whereas at home and certainly in America it's almost something you talk about at the dinner table practically. So um, that that is shifting definitely Um, but it, you know, I'm respectful of the fact that I'm an outsider. If I'm talking to somebody from the uh, eastern part of the world, I will be respectful to say, "Yeah, I know it's n- not typical for you to go to someone outside of your family to talk to." So, I think that's
1: important. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you think the the travel around these all different countries influence your uh, sort of therapy practice? Oh, good
0: question. Um, Well, having practiced therapy in all of those countries I just mentioned, I think I'm perhaps not so, um, uh, what's the word to use, Um, definitive in when I make a statement about a problem that I think is happening. I'm a little bit more tentative in my exploration of maybe the problem feels like this, rather than saying, oh, your problem is this, because I think... How do they see it from their perspective? And so I'm more inclined to move into other people's perspective to see, well, how you might see things is how I might not see them. And so I want to ask you, how do you find this situation that you find yourself in and explore it from their point of view much more than maybe I have an opinion and my opinion is the right one. I think it's better to be more uh, dialogical about it.
1: Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Like the sound of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so what would be your sort of specification? What, what is your field that you mostly work in?
0: Well, um, I've always been in uh, adult and child mental health, so I would have spent many years in a child guidance clinic. I worked, actually managed to work in Ireland for several years and was in a um, Temple Street hospital and in the child guidance clinic. And so working a lot with children and families uh, where they had illnesses or where they you know didn't have any particular visible illness but they were anxious or worried about something and i've maintained that interest and i now teach that subject actually in ucd and in Clan william institute two places where i work teaching psychotherapy um i forgot your question so your question is how does that
1: so what field do you
0: yeah and interesting now so i mean so i would describe myself and my training as being systemic, um, which means I pay a lot of attention, even if I only have one person in the room, to their relationships and what they consider to be important in their relationship life and relationship history. And significant relationships can promote our, our well-being, but they can also be great sources of disappointment and upset. So I think that's how I approach um, the people when I'm talking to them. So thinking about people's mental health and, uh, how they can help themselves, but also reach out for help in their relationship network.
1: I see. I see. And Just so like, why relationships, um, uh, uh, because it sort of like reflects people and also that relationships we had, let's say with our parents or siblings, yeah. how that all shapes us. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm interested in something called attachment theory, and that's about our past and our relationships with our primary caregivers and how those really influence how we do our current day relationships. And the founding father of attachment theory was a a doctor called John Boldby and he died I think in 1970 I think but he was an extraordinary man who felt that during the war too many children were being separated from their parents uh, for, for for health and safety reasons they were being taken out of london he felt no i don't think that's a good idea to take children away from their parents i think the bond is very important and will sustain them even during difficult times
1: so london had a lot of bombing
0: they did, so it would they did. there were a lot of, it, yeah. there were a lot of reasons why but he he began to study that um subject and that has now continued to be an enormous field today so i understand adult attachment behavior as having an echo from their childhood experiences.
1: Is that true when you have little babies and you remove them from their mothers and they don't have hugs and all that sort of warmth, they, they are much higher chance to become some sort of sociopaths. There,
0: there, there is a lot of work going on into understanding the first three years of life. Um, they call it the first thousand days Mm -hmm. and um, we do look at people who have um, uh, committed crimes against another person like homicide or whatever and it can be the case that the early life experiences of that person were very detrimental to forming an adequately good bond Um, and I think that this is people are becoming very, very aware of this. Um, Now, it doesn't in any way exonerate or excuse people who've committed crimes. And I would never go to say that. But I would like to say that it, it puts our attention into looking after people when they're first born and looking after their mothers and their parents so that they get the best possible start in life. Yeah, very important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so now maybe we can jump jump into something like, let's say, traumatic childhood, for example. Somebody who has a sort of like a trauma from childhood, yeah. And then what can they realistically do? And I'm sure there are different systems, different practices in different countries. But what is the general approach, like official professional recommendation for someone to go through some sort of Trauma from the past?
0: Well, I mean, sure. There are books written about trauma, and, you know, how can we do justice to it in a very short conversation? And I would like to preempt that by making sure that people, you know, we're only going to hit a very small piece of it in this conversation. Um, the awareness of um, trauma when you're an adult and you look back on your past and you think, there's, one of the simplest ways of looking at it, there's, there's, there's big T trauma. So that would be a specific event that's occurred to you. Um, being stung by a hundred wasps is a massive trauma for a child. Um, being in a car crash, um, being abused, uh, either singly or single event or number number of times. They're all big T traumas they're 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 big events the death of someone close to you in the family and uh those are particular items events that took place in a particular period of time and then the small t traumas which is you could say the rest of us are small acts of parental ignoring neglect um inattentiveness um not having your needs fully met Um, not necessarily through any deliberate action on the part of the parent, but just they were so absorbed in their own life in some way or absent or otherwise engaged that they didn't really pay attention to you. So those kind of small T traumas are also upsetting as you get triggered in your adult life by events, somebody not noticing you or somebody leaving you out of an invitation or a conversation which can be upsetting and you realize when you look back that that's used to happen to me a lot as a child and then you you recognize that so those are things that i work of course 99% now with adults couples and individuals and when you begin to recognize what are your history uh, trauma then you say, okay, I know that used to happen to me and I know that's not happening to me now and I'm going to be able to look after myself or I'm going to be able to get through this argument or this row right now.
1: All right. So we had to move a little bit of uh, construction work going on outside on the street. So we moved to further part of the house. So <laughs> cool. Anyway. Bit of an had, adventure. Yeah. Adventure. Yeah. So we were talking there about uh, PTSD. We were talking about uh, uh, childhood trauma and what people can do. Yeah. And not just only uh, what's sort of procedure with a therapist, yeah. but what people can do if they don't want to see therapists or maybe they are not ready, what they can do on their own.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't uh, say make it compulsory for people to go and see a therapist. Quite a lot of people solve a lot of their problems um, through reading and through self-help books and uh, online help. And I think that's uh, wonderful about the modern day age where there is a lot more available out there for people. I would be... I would sort of think of um, trying to recover from trauma. I would think of how is the trauma making its uh, self felt in my life? So probably uh, one of the areas might be in a little personal anxiety. Um, I was talking to somebody recently who said I get very anxious about, writing my name in front of strangers or, uh, having to do something in front of other people, like suddenly play a game of tennis with people I don't know. And so, uh, because I know somebody, that person very well, I would understand that there's been an early history there of quite difficult, uh, experiences, not big T traumas, as I was telling you earlier, but more like small T traumas. And so, Um, he's decided to get um, investigate how to do CBT by himself and do online. And, I mean, it's absolutely doable, completely doable, Um, because there's two aspects to the PTSD. One is the emotional part, uh, the fear, the anxiety, the worry, and that might present itself in distracted thoughts, Sweating, um, shaking hand. You know, he described how he, uh, when he got married, he he looked at his marriage certificate and he couldn't read his signature uh, because he knew he was shaking so much having to write in front of strangers. And this is somebody who has to perform in public and has to make speeches. And because it's absolutely necessary to do that in one part of his life, he doesn't avoid. The trauma of of doing it because he says, I've got to do this. But in other areas where he could be taking part in front of strangers, like, can you join us for a tennis match tomorrow? He knows absolutely he can't do that because they're all strangers and he's worried about what they're going to think about him. So those are kind of PTSD symptoms, which he's addressing and looking at. So what he's you know, what he's planned to do and what he started to do is look at how can I bring those thoughts to rain, kind of thing? Can I grab them and pull them in and say, these are just my thoughts. I'm having thoughts about being uh, looked at on the court or in a particular environment where people are looking at me and I have to write something or sign a signature or whatever. And so he knows that he needs to learn how to relax before he's going into those situations. So through, there's a lot of wonderful apps out there now. Wonderful. Calm is one of them. So every day he's listening to 15 minutes before he gets out of bed to this meditative app. It's fantastic. I use it. I mean, I just, I just think they're amazing. Um, going to bed at night, there's a nighttime story on that particular app. And um, so training your mind is part of the modern our our minds are worse and can be changed we now know a lot more about neuroplasticity than we ever used to so the awareness that yeah i can change my mind i can alter my way of thinking and i can even help my body Mm -hmm. to not go into that awful state so there's one example of how someone is really kind of saying I'm going to do a little bit of mind training here I'm going to learn how to relax I'm going to learn how to do mindfulness and be in the present moment and that's really what all of this is about I think the other thing we have to do is if trauma shows up in our relationships so where we're falling out with people you know where we no longer find ourselves able to talk to them because they've said something hurtful or they've left you out of something where you feel very hurt and you feel kind of cross about it. I think that's a a piece worth visiting to say, okay, so I'm, my trauma is showing up in my present day relationships because I was hurt in the past. So I, I'm a bit more sensitive now to being hurt. So I suppose the first part will be to say, I need to have compassion for myself. I need to say, yeah, that is hard. And say to yourself, yeah, this is hard for me to do this. It's hard for me to just get over that awful comment that somebody made about me. Even maybe uh, they didn't do it deliberately, said something insensitive and were not paying attention to my circumstances. So having compassion for yourself, I think, is a big part of this to say, look, I felt hurt this morning when that happened, um, or last week, or this person is very hurtful the way they speak, I realise I need to take care of myself, I need to have compassion for myself. So those are kind of very gentle and very slight tips, and I, (laughs) I mean, this is not something we can go into in any very huge detail, but it's a kind of a pointer for helping yourself to get over and then when you do that you can also read some of the cognitive behavioral literature and if you do CBT you you might have to make a little journal. So will this CBT okay so a uh, cognitive is our thoughts yeah um behavioral is what we do and therapy is so cognitive behavioral therapy is paying attention to the fact that our emotional experience of an event will dictate how we think about that event and when we think about that event or that person we're going to do something or not do something Let's imagine you and I auto-meet yeah. in Grafton Street. And I'm walking with a friend and I'm talking 19 to the dozen, okay? And you see me, but I don't even acknowledge you. I don't even look at you. I don't even wave at you. Well, that could leave you in quite a difficult place. You could think, it's really a shame to see me. Uh, and you could start thinking lots of things. And if you Self-made. have a slightly negative mindset uh-huh. or if you've had a trauma history of being ignored or of being uh put down in some way um if that is been your lot in life you could easily think she didn't want to acknowledge me and once you start to think she didn't want to acknowledge me uh, or she's not interested in saying hello to me you can convince yourself of that and you can go home and you can feel that's another bad thing that happened to me today. I, I met um, somebody I know really quite well and whom I think I'm quite friendly with. And they completely blanked me, completely ignored me. And actually, you know what? I don't like her anymore. Right. I, I, I she's kind of selfish and kind of, and I don't know if I'm going to go along to the next thing that she invites me to, if she ever does invite me to anything, or I'm going to not sit near her if we happen to be in a social gathering together, because I will feel that hurt. And that hurt will create a memory of a hurt that you've had and that might dictate how you might react to me the next time or
1: overreact absolutely
0: so those are very simple examples of cognitive behavior Mm -hmm. so our behavior will be dictated by our thoughts about somebody and um we we all have experienced moments in our life oh i don't really want to go to the gym (laughs) (laughs) right? Uh, I don't want to go to the gym. And that's been my experience. Oh, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to this class. I don't want to do my personal training. (laughs) And you say to yourself, okay, that's, that's a a roadway to nowhere. And you, you get yourself. So that's, that's a cognitive behavioral trick where you say to yourself, I know I don't want to go. However, that's just a thought that I'm having about, I don't want to go validate yourself and say yeah look it's really hard to get up in the morning and go and be there for the your appointment but get on with it and do it and you'll be okay now it doesn't mean that everything in life you need to pull up your socks for Um, and I went very much more compassionate towards people who suffered and I think compassion is a bit left out in the world at the moment we need to We need to really pay attention to validating people's negative experience. So, if you do it, what does that mean?
1: Validating some other people's negative experience?
0: Good. Thank you for catching me on that one. Okay. So, it's about acknowledging that you have been hurt in the past. And I get how you don't necessarily want to feel enthusiastic
1: about so we have a compassion for the other people yeah. could be hurt i
0: think past. so yeah. yeah that's what validation is yeah. to acknowledge and say yeah i get that you must i be get fearing. you yeah mm-hmm. so that's what we, we we've got to do it for ourselves too yeah for yeah. sure sure sure
1: sure how would you help people to go through the trauma what what is the procedure you know let's say you mentioned something there's a something like a speed of progression that where people you know, need to take their time to deal with their own I, yeah. past trauma. So, yeah. so you kind of set the environment so they can share, but not to go too quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I wouldn't describe myself at all as a trauma specialist. That that there are people who who really are. Um, I like the work of I read the work of people who are trauma specialists, Babette Rothschild. And she's written a lovely book, which you can use for yourself as well. It's uh, Eight Keys to Resolving Trauma. But so, when I use some of her advice with with clients and with other people. And I think certainly at an early stage, when you realise, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting triggered by these events and these things are interfering with the smooth transitions in my life or the smooth relationships in my life I would say to people when you overly think about the trauma that it's not the best thing to do that it's um more a question of saying to people so here you are and you're how did you get here so how did you get past that trauma that got you here today so he was really a really bit surprised because they expect me to ask about the trauma and I don't I say, what's happened to you that you've managed to get yourself here today? Tell me about yourself and how have you managed to get here?
1: So people like... Kind of focusing on the positives. Like you already accomplished that you're moving on.
0: Absolutely. Don't
1: dragging on the past. Absolutely.
0: And it's not to ignore the past and the past may come up and there may be a relevant conversation to have about the past. But I would say first and foremost, say, look where I am today and I've managed this to get this far. And so the other... the other kind of um processes which i think are helpful for people are to write their own epilogue and maybe write down how is it that i'm here today so what is it
1: epilogue oh it's or like those, a
0: story of story of yourself. yourself so it could be
1: like an autobiography a little bit a like. little
0: bit exactly what 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 did you do to get here today and maybe write that down put it in a journal you know now you could start with the trauma and you could go forward and say, well, that happened at this time and then I did this and then I did that and then I did, so whatever. Um, you may have read a book called Educated by Tara Westover and she grew up in a very difficult household. I mean, horrendous really, to be honest with you. Um, very neglectful parents, probably even very abusive parents. And she got herself out and got to school uh, late, later than you normally would be going to school and then got to college and then wrote a book about it. I mean, amazing girl. And um, so reading stories like that, you realise people have, she's really made something of herself, including the trauma in that narrative. So it's not like she's cut off the trauma and said, oh, that's the old life and this is my new life. She's learned how to say, what has my trauma actually given me? Um, In what ways have I been shaped by my trauma? In what ways have I managed to make something of my life despite my trauma? So there's a whole series of questions that people can ask themselves, which in a way are compassionate, They're um, looking after yourself, but they're also like, okay, so how can I make good use of these experiences going forward in my life? So those are the kind of ideas which I work with when I'm working with individuals. Um, And in what way do you think that's shaping how you have your current conversations? Um, In what way might you like those conversations uh, to be different? How would you like to be different? So I inquire about what might be already available to that person in their own life and in their own brain, uh, which will help them to move forward. I don't tell them this is what you must do and that's what you must do. I do it through questions.
1: So they sort of self-realize that they basically recall that bad emotion and they're kind of holding on to it? Yeah, Isn't there something to do with addiction to that feeling as well? Because that's learned behavior as well. We attract what we are comfortable with and changing that could be more stressful than, you know, like sticking with what is known, but even though it's bad, rather than trying something new. Isn't that? Well, yeah.
0: If, If sometimes the trauma plays itself out through addictive behavior, you know, using drugs, alcohol, substances or behavioural addictions, you know, addi- sex addiction and uh, shopping addiction, you know, the kinds of things. And I mean, I suppose to a certain extent, they do need more specialised uh, treatment in the sense that if you're in the grip of the addiction, it can be very hard to step aside from it. Um, if it's that I notice that, um, I have very negative thoughts or I get very upset very easily. And when I get overly upset, then I want to solve it and I go into the addiction. So if you think of the addiction as the bottom of the, of the ladder, you know, or the pool at mm-hmm. the bottom, I want to get rid of those behaviors that are in that pool. I don't want to do those overeating or whatever thing you're doing. And then you think about that the circle around that. Pool. And that is the area of your life where you're um kind of a little bit slipping down the slope. You're not you're having negative thoughts, you're not looking after yourself, you're not paying attention to your health, you're not sleeping enough, you're mixing with friends whom you know are not the most helpful, and they're all pathways to down the pool. So when you go up, I think of this, this is called the three circle model of addiction, where the pool is the behaviours you want to stop. The circle around the pool are the thoughts and feelings that lead you down the slippery slope. And then the top level is um, areas where I'm really doing okay. I'm looking after myself. I'm doing mindfulness I'm looking after my body and my health and I'm looking after my relationships. And when you're up there, you're less likely to slip down into the more sort of dangerous territories.
1: Yeah, As humans, we have the tendency to to be easily addicted. I think a lot of people have problems with addictions, especially if they enjoy what they're doing and food addictions and, you know, procrastination is obviously stronger than being motivated. So I would be believing that um, having good nutrition, good sleep, exercising, being around positive people will be kind of giving you that higher chance that you're going to go in a in the right path. Absolutely. Rather than the opposite into more addiction and deteriorating health. So I'd say if somebody has unstable mental, emotional state, then having lack of sleep, for example, could already trigger such a worse behaviors.
0: Well, um, it, you know, if you think of it like here, here we have a circle. There, there's your, there's the bit we want. Although it's really not the plant here, but like, you know, that's the that's the pool, and then here is is a slippery slope, mm-hmm. which is not taking care of yourself, not looking after yourself, not minding yourself, and um, having negative. Um, thoughts and behaviors those are all that that, that's the bit you want to be able to escape out of but you not doing it through criticism um, of yourself or of others but doing it more because up here and out here is where I want to be it's where my life is more fulfilled and it's hard though this is a hard leap for people and I'm compassionate for people who find that a struggle yeah, it yeah. just doesn't happen overnight. It's yeah. it's
1: a journey. It is a journey, yeah. yeah. I remember when I came to Ireland, it's almost 17 years ago, yeah. and I read a book, uh, it got way to the absolute friend of mine. He, it was actually from Czech Republic. Okay. Uh, it was written in Czech. And I read that. He came to Slovakia to for a holiday and he brought me this book. And it kind of changed my life, really, okay. because... It was like all about positivity, negativity. It was a bit of a spiritual book about like a growth of the soul, kind of like learning the the life. And I just realized it was all like written like for a five years old child, you know, to understand these concepts. And I realized I'm a mostly negative person. So in my mind, I was always like worrying about things and being like lacking confidence and all that stuff. And then i realized okay well now we know that mostly i'm deeply negative person on many levels and so to change it i have to start working on me and i think the mindfulness and affirmations and you know i just realized that first half year was kind of the main transformation i realized the more i was kind of reminding myself to think positively you know, every day I'm doing okay. better and better, Yeah. you know, I'm looked yeah. after, you know, and those type of things, uh, positive things, just realize that actually I'm attracting more of that. And then, you know, a few years later, I'm just different person.
0: I know, know? I know. Uh, I mean, I've, I've known you for a good few years now, I think at this stage. And I think that one of the characteristics I would say about you is you're very motivating of others. And that's because you're not critical and you, uh, you take what people where people are at and you say, okay, well, you know, stick with this and this is going to do good. And you're really, you're really making progress and you give people a lot of really good feedback. And I think people really, really appreciate that about you, Otto, and that that's something that you've actually taught yourself first. So you, you, we know it's coming from your heart. It's not just a mantra that you're saying, actually you're living, the, the advice, you know, you're actually living that as you, as you live your life. And so people see that authentic part of you that really does show in your work.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, reflection of a psychotherapist. There oh, thank you are. You. There you are. <laughs> just yeah. send, me, send me the bill. Well, just human to human. <laughs> just send, just... Me, send me the bill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can send me yours.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, next thing I want to talk about is the COVID And how that influenced the people's obsessive behaviors, traumas and fears and and got it into obsessive behavior level two. Let's say excessively washing hands, avoiding all sorts of uh, human contact, even though like most people are vaccinated now. So we should be way safer. But how do you see it with your clients? Well,
0: um, I have a heavy heart. About this, but I, I partly because most of my um, the therapeutic community, to a large extent, understand that the arrival of COVID and restrictions and hygiene and all this really only was a vehicle on which people who already had tendencies to worry uh, found another sort of outlet to be more specific in their worry about something. So people who were previously quite anxious, um, who got upset about um, all kinds of things, um, even, uh, you know, the floor being dirty, and if anything dropped on the floor, then they wouldn't pick it up because it might bring them germs. You know, those kind of experiences for some people, very high levels of anxiety and creating a little bit, Uh, obsessive cleaning rituals and, you know, compulsive behavior. So we were talking about um, people who have excessive anxiety. And as I said, many therapists already understood that COVID and the arrival of um, the rules around hygiene and distancing and all the rest of it was really only another vehicle or hook, you could say, for people with anxiety anyway to hang on. And the the difficulty is that it's really curtailed their life in a much more dramatic way than maybe their previous anxieties did because they won't go anywhere. Uh, they won't uh, interact with people. they um, Their fear level has catapulted to a very high level. Because this was
1: kind of like a yeah. survival thing. This is wasn't just like small inconvenience. It could eventually kill them. But that's kind of like if somebody want, what watches yeah. the news... Yes. And get the perception absolutely. about this like, many people died. And every day we are reminded. Reminded, So maybe people might be very overly sensitive about it. You're absolutely right.
0: Absolutely right. And it was that fear of death, of dying, but also fear of making someone else die if I gave it to sure. them. Um, so people living in households where they had their older parents, massively anxious in case they brought a germ home or they brought the the, the 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 virus home, and so it's been it's been crushingly difficult on a mental health level for many many people, and the difficulty is we we don't have any newfangled methods any more than when COVID came on the scene it doesn't actually give therapy community any additional um, uh, you know support to help people to say well it will be over and we will, we can reassure you because quite a lot of people who are anxious uh, go to all their friends or their people whom they talk to verbally or they write emails or they phone and those friends reassure them and say no you know the your plane isn't likelihood of your plane crashing out of the sky or the likelihood of you know you getting uh, some ghastly illness from going to the supermarket. Whereas now we can't make those promises to the same degree. We can only talk about in general or averagely or, you know, because they're always going to find on the dark web more scarifying material for them to arm themselves with their additional fears. So we are very stuck. We are very stuck. And we have to just go back to tried and tested methods to help people um, there are some very good um, therapists who deal with people with very 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 severe um, we call it OCD obsessive-compulsive uh, disorder with people who really cannot stop whose life has almost come to a standstill don't go to work etc etc and and there are very good methods to help people in that in that way um we there's can. a very good um program yeah um exposure therapy there's a very good program on uh, apple tv um made by um prince william
1: yeah
0: and um oprah Have you heard about it? No, not at all. It's five episodes and they take very famous athletes. I mean, really world famous athletes who've won Olympic gold medals and so on, who have a mental health problem. Um, uh, One really famous, now don't ask me her name, but she's a boxer and she has uh, an obsession around cleanliness and uh has to clean every i can't imagine if you're a boxer how you would cope but she's her therapy session is recorded on video and with her therapist and during the exposure therapy which is what the therapy she's doing the therapist takes her into the backyard and gets her to empty the bin in the backyard of the building where they're in take all the dirty things out all the plastic bags out which of course is horrendously painful for her but she has to realize oh i'm not going to die when i lift this black dirty bag and i'm not going to die but it's a, a an ongoing form of therapy very very uh, interesting because these people are so famous and they've managed to get so far in life and um So it's, it's, it, that, that that Apple, um, I think it's the, the, um, the series is called what happened to you. So whereas in the current jargon, we often say to people, well, what's wrong with you? And that's now out of fashion to say that.
1: Not politically correct.
0: Anymore. (laughs) You've got to say what happened to you because it's always about something that happened to them in the past and some trauma or some other mm, mishap that has occurred or a series of and then the uh, the anxiety behaviors which get demonstrated through obsessive compulsive or various other illnesses um play themselves out these rituals and it's around breaking that cycle of the ritual
1: very good stuff. so is it about that uh, Neuroplasticity, about learning new behavior, Absolutely. getting the brain not to wire the same way it Absolutely was programmed, right. yeah. but just yeah. finding new ways.
0: Yeah. I'm having a thought that I need to clean this house from top to bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky I went. I should have more of those ones, shouldn't I? <laughs> not my <laughs> They case. should turn into
1: translation. <laughs> not <laughs> my case. <laughs> yeah. So what does it mean? How come some people are just so much more prone to hold on to their past and sort of linger into those versus those who just kind of go and move up? Is it like some kind of personal strength? Is it something we were born with?
0: I, I'm a relationship therapist. Okay. So I would have trained because I believe very firmly that, um, the key to, sorting our lives out is through relationships and um it doesn't mean everybody has to be paired off and be a couple i definitely don't mean that what i mean is that your ability to stay connected to people who are important even those in the past are going to be hugely helpful to you to think about um the effect you have had in a good way on people in your life um and how they've had a good effect on you and how you want to be. And so I think those are, I talk to people all the time, I might just have one person in the room, but in our conversation, there'll be more than one person always in the conversation. And it will be, how can you bring in elements of positive and perhaps, of course, negative experiences, which you've overcome in your life, which have made you the person you are today. And there's something also about values. If you have a particular value, which is "Mm, if someone was going to write about me when I'm gone, what would you like them to say about you? So, oh, I didn't think about it that way. So thinking about yourself from a a backward perspective, like you're now 90. uh, What did you what would you say about your 36 year old self? um, that? Uh, you 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 think might be interesting and um so that awareness that life is about progression not perfection so I like that yeah yeah
1: because yeah, yeah. perfection is just a bit of kind of like ideal that might not exist really yeah because like if you if you look at art you might think it's perfect but really is it it's perception absolutely but whatever you start improving and you know there's a progress like you're not going to be born and straight ahead doing something perfectly yeah but if you put work into it
0: absolutely so i i don't think it's just an internal thing i mean it doesn't mean i negate the fact that if i decide to do something it's only me who's doing it i understand that and in that sense it's the i doing it but if it's about how do we maintain our um growth and development it's usually through our work in relationships with important people and people who are nearby or um, important to us and that's about improving that and I think that people get that and really want to um, I mean I know some people have very negative stories and it's not to negate or pretend they didn't happen that's not about that it's about saying here's my past here's what happened to me and here's what i'm making of it and how can i help you make something of it turn to something positive or, or, yeah or something that you've accommodated to at least
1: yeah. yeah 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 but that's also like the the way we think sometimes we attract similar people and we, we have a whole bunch of complainers around us we are likely to be used to complaining as well
0: yeah get so, good friends that's right get, get, good, good, friends, friend, get, get good, good friends Get good friends. Get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get fire
1: the old ones <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah surround yourself with people who are going to be um useful and helpful to you and that you're absolutely right you know um to try to move in that direction yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. so um, you were mentioning something you were working in the public sector of the psychotherapy and now you're in a private sector okay. so what the so sort of what did you learn like sort of working yeah. in sort of like more mass um,
0: yeah I, I what i think is um the i have a strong belief that everybody should have access to mental health support if they can and it shouldn't be based on income and to To a great degree, Ireland hasn't done too badly in that area, Um, maybe not as good as some other countries, but access to um, public-free counselling, psychotherapy, Um, support, advice and guidance should be available to, you know, every citizen. And I was very happy most of my working life that I was in Ireland in the years that I was here. um, I was working in the public sector. I was working in the department. HSE is what's now called the HSE and and did so with great enjoyment and and energy. Um, And so, but I think for adults and for families, sometimes it's a little bit tricky now to access that free help. Uh, for children, I think it's pretty good. Um, you, mothers and fathers and carers, can go to the GP and can say, "I'm really worried about my son or my daughter," and the GP can access. Um, primary services, which is in their local primary health centre, there may be a counsellor available immediately, Um, and then if it's more worrying, they can go to child and adolescent mental health team, which is also free, and um, they can then be looked after by a wide range of uh, healthcare people, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, family therapists, um and OTs speech and language therapists so there's a wide range of people who work in that sector and um but I was talking to somebody I supervise somebody yeah this is my job I supervise people who are therapists and she's in Finland and she said well uh, we've just opened in Finland a walk-in free adult health service for mental health so you can literally make an appointment for to see a counsellor or psychotherapist any day of the week and i said oh wow you know she said yeah we've just brought it in uh, this year so i mean obviously other countries are moving ahead in relation i think during covid times it definitely would have influenced them doing that
1: maybe they prioritize mental health now
0: they did we we, i would like to see uh, we, we do have a certain amount of that but it does depend on where you live at the moment is still geographically yeah
1: so yeah so, so bigger cities for example
0: yes you're going to get a better chance in, in in maybe dublin and cork so that that's what i'd like to see a lot more of uh, we do have uh, public health um mental health services and they're very extensive and they're good but there's probably just not enough of them
1: yeah i would never know i yeah. never never, never yeah. was thinking yeah if i would sort of um uh, suffer depression for example when i was younger or anxiety you know, I would never think about to go someone for help. Uh, like okay. it's not in my nature to, no. to ask for help. No, you know, no. So,
0: yeah. And, and some people will go their self-help route and there's some very good people out there and very good books and great podcasts and wonderful, po- wonderful podcasts and, mm. um, books and online courses and terrific stuff. And there's low cost counseling places too. And, um, I worked in one for for a long time, and I I I, continue, I do work in one where um, uh, one in three of my cases, I they don't charge very much, and so that's really helpful for people. You know, they can come in and get uh, for a very modest fee um 10 20 euro that kind of thing they can get counseling they can get help but you have to know where to go that's true you have to know where these places are so
1: where should people go if they have troubles let's say in ireland for example well
0: the gp tends to be the gatekeeper of the resources um and otherwise agencies voluntary agencies um which provide services um uh i mean i can't think straight off the top of my head of um samaritans i think samaritan i actually used to work for the samaritans it's a phone a phone line and i used to do sleepovers and sleep overnight in case anybody rang in the middle of the night they always have people sleeping in the offices on camp beds i remember sleeping in mm-hmm. camp bed yeah to take, that's a free service and, and the volunteers are all running. So agencies which are run by volunteers are often uh, very, very good. Rape crisis centre, you know, there's a lot of places which are available. And the Citizens Advice Bureau is pretty good and they are all over Ireland. You go there and say, where can I get free counselling? And they're going to have lists of places and that are accessible for people or low cost and I'm a great believer in those.
1: Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else we want to cover or we just wrap it up already?
0: Oh, I think, I think we will have to, you'll have to book me for another time. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do chapter two or chapter the next yeah. chapter. Yeah, was- but um, yeah, it was lovely, you know, being here and being able to talk to you about this range of topics. Yeah. Thank you so much,
1: Deirdre, for, uh, for sharing your knowledge.
0: Okay. Thank you.
1: Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye.